Hello and welcome back to Sunday Night Stories. Tonight we are again listening back to some of our previous pieces that really deserve a second listen. Up first we have Autumn Daydreams, written by my sister, Eloise Wilden, and narrated by me. Friday morning, wishing the day away. Closed windows and recycled air. Meetings, minutes and memos. Tapping keys, ticking clocks and sighs. Gazing out the window, watching away the minutes. Outside is busy and full of life. On the streets below, people hurry by. Trees slowly sway in the breeze. Sunny days no longer call out through double-glazed darkness. Summer cravings of sandals, sun cream and fruity cocktails. Sand, shades and sunburn. Beaches, theme parks and beer gardens. Shorts, paddling pools and barbecues. Hot days and golden nights. A few weeks go by and the mood has shifted. No more sandals, no more sun. Out come the warm boots and waterproof coats. The sun hidden behind grey clouds and drizzling rain. Cravings change to cosy socks, scented candles and hot chocolates. Warm blankets, tomato soup and nostalgic movies. Woolly jumpers, puddles and roast dinners. Home, family and sleepy pets. The air is still warm as summer tries to hold on but a slight chill catches the breeze. The trees flicker with orange and yellow among the fading green. Autumn claims the day. Soon there will be bonfires, funfairs and twinkling lights. Halloween, crunchy leaves and pumpkin lattes. Winter planning begins. Anticipation of Christmas parties, presents and sparkles. Friday afternoon. Everyone watches the clock. Mice click. Coffee simmers and phones ring. Loud voices, blank faces and rustling snacks. Everyone waiting and daydreaming. Up next is Sheep Strike, written by Felix O'Brien and narrated by Craig Brown. Please note that this piece does contain some strong language. She moved in in the September, I think, and she seemed nice, I suppose. Do you know that sort of way where you literally don't have any opinion of a person, so you just assume they're nice? Yeah, that. Quiet. Smiley. Don't think her English was up to much. So, not a massive conversationalist. But, nice. Smiled when you passed her in the kitchen. Apologetic when she was in the bathroom for too long. You know, just... She was quite hairy. Not like Hagrid hairy, but quite hairy arms. Dark. Bit of a tash. Eyebrow like mine. Singular, not plural. But even that's not a distinguishing factor, really. A lot of them are. Hairy. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. I'm dead feminist. Women can be as hairy as they like. I'm all for women. Women are great. 
I support equal pay, signed a petition. Yeah, abortions are fine. Breastfeeding in public, getting their tits out at the beach or in Tesco's or wherever. Free the nipple, etc, etc. So I'm not a bad guy. Honestly, I... So, I live in a six-bed house, which is a bit shit, but it's usually alright. It's a good size. Southwest. Been there about two years. The district line's not as bad as folk say it is, and the flat's rented by the room, so a lot of folk have passed through. All sorts. Some nice, some cunts. But I mean, I tend to get on with people. Nine times out of ten. Partly because I'm easygoing, but mostly because I fucking hate confrontation. Like, I can't deal with it. I'm shit at it. When I first moved in, there was this big weird Argentinian prick. Looked like a sad caveman. Kept stealing my food. But I just... I let him. Because it's only rice, isn't it? Can always get more rice. And he was fucking terrifying, so... I'm a good person to live with. I usually wash up my own plate, answer the door for packages, but not TV licensing, because I'm not a fucking idiot. I make sure there's no pubes in public spaces. Just pubic. I'm not hard to live with, and I let people do their own thing. Don't interfere. Intervene. Live and let live, you know? But Connie... So she moved in, like I say, September. Pleasant, unassuming, nice. Left her to her shit, she left me to mine. Fine. Grand. Lovely. Then that thing happened in Paris, and everything went massively tits up. I didn't notice at first. I noticed I could get in the bathroom whenever I wanted which was nice. None of that annoying morning loitering. Waiting to knock. Knocking. Tiptoeing past one another. Being like, sorry, sorry. Didn't think anything of it. Then one day, Matt, another one of the six, big Welsh lad, closest thing I've got to a mate in the house. He goes, oh, Cammy. I can't do the accent, but he goes, you want to watch her, you do. Who? Connie. Why? She's sneaky. Sneaky? How? Just watch her, yeah, boyo? He didn't say boyo. Just makes him sound Welsher. Helps with the accent. But he did go, gesturing with his eyes, like some shite henchman. I thought he was ripping the piss. But then I started to notice stuff. She'd scurry out the kitchen as soon as I walked in. No eye contact barely came out her room. I could hear her through the wall, talking on the phone, or Skype or whatever, in some language, some not-English language. She'd talk a lot, to them, never to us. Whatever it was sounded urgent, sort of panicky. There was a definite tone. Still, none of my business. Until... Would have been a Saturday night. Sunday morning, really. Late. Couldn't sleep. I was in my room, 
stoned out my bin playing Worms. You played Worms? Worms is brilliant. I'll explain for those of you who had shit non-90s childhoods. Worms is a game for the PC. You control this team, group, a battalion of cartoon worms, and the aim of the game is to kill all the enemy worms. Because, well, games don't need a because, do they? You just try to win. And there's all these weird weapons, concrete donkeys and old lady launchers, and this particular night, I was spamming the sheep strikes. That's when a plane flies across and drops all these exploding sheep on the map. And for some reason, the plane plays the Marseille. You know. And it drops the sheep. And they bounce about and... And explode and fuck everything up. Class. So, like I say, I was high as fuck raining down fleecy vengeance, and to be fair, my laptop was probably up quite loud. I always go a bit deaf when I smoke. Weird. But yeah, I was absolutely ending myself, dying, pissing myself laughing. And then my door opens. Connie, in a headscarf, turban thing. That was new. Can you? No, I really can't do her accent. Like, I'm not going to do that. She says, Can you stop doing that, please? What? Can you stop doing that, please? How? Turn it down. As well as going a bit deaf, weed also makes me weirdly aggressive. Fuck off, it's a Saturday night, hen. Give us peace. I don't like it. Don't give a fuck if you like it. Please. Looking back on it now, she was definitely crying by this point. I don't like the music. Right, fine. Fuck. Headphones. Jesus. Close the door. I think she said, thank you. But I couldn't hear her over the worms exploding. So I'm fuming. And high. And then, textbook. A fucking colossal tsunami of paranoia. The phone calls, the head thing, the sudden aversion to traditional French music. What if she's... No, don't be daft. You're a Londoner now, multicultural. You lived in Tooting for a year. Survived that. You're being daft. Or are you? I couldn't stop thinking about it. Kept me up at night. Everything I read, everything I watched... She started getting all these packages, small brown boxes from Amazon and eBay, loads of them, and I'd answer the door for them, and I'd think, fingerprints. Heard her watching the news like 24-7, because she didn't feel the need to put earphones in. Metros and evening standards lying around with pages missing. The headscarf hijab jihad thing was now a permanent fixture, so I had reason to Then, the ticking, through the wall, quiet, but incessant, couldn't sleep for it, and I started smoking more to calm down, but like I said, it just makes me angry, 
I mean, I knew it was probably nothing, but all it takes for evil to flourish is to have good men do nothing. And the next thing you know, it's boom! Je suis Camille. And I thought, no. So I barged into her room, and she's sitting there tinkering away at this device, bits of metal everywhere, like Meccano, but evil. And she looks at me, shocked, and I go to say something, but I'm really out of my tits and scared and I'm shit at confrontation. So I just hit her, quite a few times. In fairness, she fought back. See that scar on my lip there? Bit of her eBay bomb. There was blood. Luckily, it was just the two of us in the house. Everyone else had gone home for Christmas. But yeah, it wasn't great. Next day, she was gone. Never saw her again. Well, not in real life. I wasn't friends with her on Facebook or anything. It was private, obviously. But I found her on Instagram. A few weeks later, got her full name off one of her packages. Turns out she'd gone home. To Portugal. Because she was Portuguese. And therefore Catholic. Not... There were loads of photos with this girl, Mathilde, her girlfriend. Pretty. French. Big fan of Eagles of Death Metal was Mathilde. She was there. In Paris. At the Bataclan. When... The headscarves? Yeah. Her hair started falling out. In clumps. She posted about it. Hashtag no filter. Hashtag no makeup. Hashtag no hair. Her shit got pretty morbid. After... And she made clocks. Hobby. Sideline. Business thing. Sold them on Etsy. But in fairness, what was more likely? Clockmaker or terrorist? Both fairly niche occupations. Her clocks are nice, actually. Thought about ordering one, but don't think she'd appreciate my custom. Then the trail goes cold. Like I say, shit got morbid. Selfies of her crying. Her wrists. She got skinny as fuck. Went a bit grey. Then nothing. Hasn't posted in about a month. I'm sure she's fine. Stopped playing worms. Got bored. Started feeling bad for the little guys. Getting blown to fuck just because I felt like it. I'm sleeping better. And I'm not smoking. So that's good. Well, I'm smoking less. I am a nice guy. Honestly. And not nondescript nice. Genuinely nice. I am. Right. Imagine you're sitting on the tube and there's a guy sitting across from you who doesn't look like you. Massive beard, tea cosy hat. And he's alone, not speaking. But his mouth is moving. And he's got this massive fuck-off backpack on his lap. Do you stay on the train or get off? 
even though you know he's probably just going camping or something. What do you do? Because, and I'm not proud of this, but I'd rather be racist than dead. And finally, we have part one of Bella, written by Abby Allen and narrated by Jess Lloyd Jones. Standing under the window frame on tiptoes, Bella watched the snowflakes fall from the sky. Her imagination was caught by the sight of the flakes. She watched numerous flakes fall, and many of them landed on the window frame outside, adding to the mound that started to collect. She tried to go higher on her tiptoes, but she didn't have enough height or balance to do so. You should be in bed, young lady. Jonathan watched her from the living room doorway. Bella pointed at the snow, pleading with him to let her see it a little longer. Jonathan walked to her and picked her up into his grip. She looked out the window from the new height and saw the winter wonderland. Bella giggled and squealed with delight at seeing the new world of snow from a height she couldn't have reached without him. You like the snow? Jonathan gently kissed her head. Bella nodded, beaming. Jonathan stepped closer to the window and let Bella look outside even more. She could see the entire road was covered in snow. Come on, let's get you to bed. Jonathan started to walk away. Bella started to get upset, but Jonathan walked with her in his grip upstairs. They walked into her bedroom, tidy until you looked at the floor with toys everywhere. Jonathan gently placed Bella on her bed and tucked her in. Bella started to whimper, so Jonathan pulled out a book from the bookcase. Bella was unsure about the book, but it had snow on it, so she started to go for it. Jonathan gently held Bella close and read her the story. She tried to fight the tiredness, but it won in the end. Bella fell fast asleep in bed. Jonathan put the book down and tucked Bella back into bed. He gently kissed her head and tiptoed out of her room, shutting the door behind him. Jonathan walked to his own bedroom and found Kezia waiting for him. What was it? Kezia asked. Bella wanted to see the snow. She's fast asleep now. Jonathan got under the covers by his wife. She talking yet? No, she made her feelings clear, but she didn't say anything. At least she's still acting like a child. She turns five soon. She won't be a little girl anymore. Kezia turned her lamp off. Jonathan lay on his back, turning his own lamp off, wondering what kind of life Bella would have if she couldn't communicate with words. He tried to drop off, but his only thoughts were of his youngest daughter, whether she would have a life of her own in time. Narrating these pieces were Emily Wilden, Craig Brown and Jess Lloyd-Jones. I'd like to thank all of our amazing writers for sharing their pieces with us. And if you have a piece that you would like to share, please email sundaynightstories at hotmail.com. 